So, Steve, you guys did a great job a couple weeks ago looking at all of the odd way, really, that the, that the Gentile church was grafted in, right? This wasn't normal. We, the Gentile church, if you're here today and you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, right? That's, that's a given. We know that. And so the reality is the Gentile church was the wild branch. We were the wild ones. We are the wild child. We are not the, the tame, chill, very, you know, well astute, put together ones. No, we're the wacky, crazy, freaky, you know, wacky uncle guy. We're that one, right? We're the wild branch. And it was established to, it was put into the established tree, right? And what was the established tree? Israel. God had given his law to Israel. God had been, you know, just pouring out his love and his mercy and his grace onto his people. And they were the established tree. And that's, that was the original plan, you guys. And if you don't see that, it doesn't take much looking all throughout scripture. Jesus himself, the first time he sent out disciples, what did he say? Go to the Jews only, right? Now, we know that wasn't his entire plan because where was one of the first major revivals? In Samaria, right? Not where there were Jews. So there's like this kind of like juxtaposition of things, but we know that Jesus' goal was that. And we also know Paul, everywhere he went, what did he do? He went and he spoke to the Jews first. And then as the Jews rejected him, he went to a hungry Gentile people that were like, hey man, all this other stuff, it wasn't working for us. So they did and God did this in a totally opposite way. Does anybody know anything about horticulture and all that stuff? Do you know how you graft in uh, like a vine? You, you, you plant the roots first, right? Or I'm sorry, you plant, you have a wild thing and then you, you graft in a tamed vine to it and you make it tame. That's usually how it goes. It's, so God literally did it the polar opposite to what we usually do because he's God and he can do that, right? So today, well, one more thing I want to say is what else did Paul say? Don't get such a big head. You're not special, right? You're still the wild child. <laughs> you are here by God's grace. We're all here. If you're here today and you know Jesus, you are here by his grace and mercy, and that's it. You didn't bring anything to the table except your need and your want, right? You didn't bring anything. You're not, look, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care if you're like, man, I sing better than Pavarotti. Good for you. Doesn't matter in Jesus' kingdom, right? None of it. So let's start reading in verse 25. We're going to pick up. It says this. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, <coughs> and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Paul starts out by here in this section of scripture by telling the Gentile, his Gentile Roman brothers and sisters, remember, in this time in Rome, there were no Jews. They were all had been kicked out by the Caesar. And so at this point, they were, he was writing this letter to a bunch of Gentiles, and so he keeps speaking about the Jews and all this stuff and, and kind of giving them a level of excitement. Like, you're, you're grafted in. You're good. You're, you're here, man. That's awesome. But he's saying, don't get a big head. Don't think so, so highly of yourself. And then also, don't forget that God's people are still God's chosen people. And that's what he's getting at here. He's saying, look, I don't want you to be ignorant 
to the fact that the blindness of Israel has happened at God's direction. And why? Until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. You guys, we need to know. There's a need for us to know that this is true. Why? Because we as Gentiles and the Gentiles of this day, we can get pretty wise in our own opinion, can't we? How many of you guys have people that you know that are Jewish by ancestry? I have plenty of people that I know that are Jewish by ancestry. As a matter of fact, I worked with a guy named Jordan. He was an awesome guy. I loved him. And he always wore this shirt that had the Superman symbol and it said SJ for super Jew. And I would always say, that's Jesus, bro. He's like, oh, I love him, right? But guess what? They don't know Jesus. When I was in college, we went to a Judy, Judy I had a, took a Judaism class and we, we got to go to this very uh, liberal, because you're not allowed in if it's Hasidic Jew, you're not going to be welcomed in as a Gentile, but the liberal kind of Jewish synagogues will let you in. And we were invited in as a college member, and there were people in there that were like, you know, it's really about knowledge. There isn't really no such thing as God. God is knowledge. These were people that were Jewish and were following the Jewish religion, and yet that was their philosophy on life. It's sad. We can get a little haughty in our eyes, can't we? We can get a little big for our britches when we start thinking like, oh, you poor people. You poor, ignorant people. We can't do that. God loves those people as much as he loves you and me. God loves the people out in the world that don't understand who Jesus is as much as he loves you and me. We should never get to a place in our minds, you guys, where we start thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. It's important to keep that in mind. Too many churches, you guys, are there. Another thing we need to watch, we also need to not get haughty in our own eyes about other churches. (laughs) I got to watch that sometimes whenever I hear certain teachings and I'm like, what kind of wackadoodle thoughts are those? You know? And I got to be like, oh, Lord, get a hold of their hearts. Help them to see where they're missing your word on this. And Lord, in the process of that, help me to see where I'm missing your word on things. Right? I don't got it all figured out. But you guys, this has happened at God's direction until the fullness of the Gentiles have been brought in. We are just as much sinners as they are, and yet... God saw fit to do it this way. And we can actually see that God's plan has been this all along. Flip over with me to the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 59, page 876, if you have my Bible. Told you all going to need your Bibles. Look, if you ever see me with a ton of tabs in the top of my Bible, that's when you know we're going a lot of places. And if also, if you ever wonder, man, Pastor knows his Bible so well. No, it's because I marked the spots before I... Before I teach, Isaiah chapter 59, starting in verse 20. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He said this. Hold on, I'll wait. I like that sound. Yeah, we, I'm telling you, I keep saying it. The Bible apps, we need to, psh, 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 like a sound. Okay. Verse 20 says this of chapter 59. The Redeemer will come to Zion. And to those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and upon and my words, which I have put in your mouth, shall not depart from your mouth, nor from, your mouth of, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. God has not given up on them. 
Now, I would also highly recommend you guys, if you want to, and we can talk about this in the anchor groups, which are starting this week. Uh, chapter 60 of Isaiah really speaks a lot to this as well. We're not going to take the time to read that whole chapter, and you can all say amen. Um, <laughs> but it gives you a clearer picture of God's plan for the nation of Israel, that he has not forgotten them. And this was spoken hundreds of years before Jesus showed up and they rejected Jesus. So God has not forgotten Israel. Let's flip over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 37. Obviously, this is Jesus, and you guys know this passage. <coughs> this is Jesus himself saying this, right? As he's walking out of the city, he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. For I say to you, you shall see me no more. Listen to this. You shall see me no more until the day you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What does that tell you? That Jesus is saying, there will be a day when you say to me, to Jesus, blessed be, what does he say? <laughs> blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You guys, there's going to be a day when the Jews turn back. We know this. God knows what he's doing. He has a purpose in everything that he's doing. There's nothing that he is doing that is catching him off guard. There's nothing that's happening on this earth that is catching him off guard. We need to understand that. We need to get our heads around that. And the more we understand that for the people of Israel, to me, it's not that hard to grab that and pull that into us and say, man, Lord, you know your plans for me and you know what's going on in my life and what's going on in our country. Because the reality is, you guys, we just saw the second largest bank failure in American history. And the reality is, I don't know if you know anything about Russia, but when the USSR fell, I knew people that were over there. They were Salvation Army officers over all of Russia. And they said to them, it felt like a one-day change. One day, everybody had bread. The next day, everybody was standing in line waiting for bread. Our country is not immune. What am I saying all that for? We need to put our trust in the kingdom and in the king, not in our, our system here. Now, we have a great system. We should be voting. I'm not, hear me, I'm not saying, let's just anarchy, yeah. No, it's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm getting at, though, is, is that if we're putting all of our faith and trust in that, we are putting our faith and trust in something that's flawed. I, I hope and pray that we put our faith and trust in the king and the kingdom, in Jesus. Why? Because, guys, that's what the people of Israel had missed. They had started to put their faith and trust in their religious system instead of putting their faith and trust in God anymore. And we, I think, in America can be guilty of the same. We start putting our faith and trust in places it shouldn't be. So this should be an encouragement to us that there's a purpose in everything he's doing. Now, I need you to hear this too. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 through 5, we're not going to flip there for you note takers. Write that down. Go read it. It speaks of the 144,000 witnesses. You guys know about that? There is debate here. If you think I'm wrong, you're okay. You're in good company. I believe those are going to be 144,000 Jewish people that are going to go and spread the gospel of Christ to the Jews and to everyone, but that it's primarily to bring the Jewish people back, the nation of Israel back. That's what I see in scripture. So I need us to hear this. God is not done with his people. 
And God has a way that he is going to bring them back. Is he going to bring every human that was Jewish ever back? No, there are people that are in hell that are Jewish. I need you to hear that. But overarchingly right now, would you say that the Jewish nation is a Christian nation or not a Christian nation? I would say it's not. There will be a time, right? There will be a time, I believe, that ushers in the new kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ, where where the Jewish nation will be a Christian nation because they'll have accepted Christ. One more scripture before we move on here. Zechariah chapter 12. Old Zechariah. I love this passage of scripture. Did you ever read the, the um, when you read the um, prophets and you listen to them, did you ever wonder like what people thought of the prophets? Like think about this. We just went through the book of Ezekiel uh, on Wednesday night a little bit ago. And if you guys remember, he was told to lay on his side and he wasn't allowed to move. And he was told to make this little stick fort thing that represented the city of Jerusalem. And then he was meant to go like this for days and like glare, glare at it because that's what God was doing. And then after a while, he was like, "Eh, eh, eh," and he hit it with a little stick, a little sword. (laughs) He did all these weird things. Did you ever think that people were like, what the heck are you doing? (laughs) Zachariah is interesting because when he wrote you guys, nobody was under captivity. All this stuff was kind of done. And so here's what he says. And they're like, I could I got to imagine that they were like, what the heck are you talking about? Chapter 12, verse 7 says this. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In, the day of the, in that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Israel. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadad Ramon in the plains of Megiddo. You guys, do you understand? Again, remember, crucifixion didn't exist yet, so who the heck is the one that's pierced? It's amazing. It's amazing. It's all here in Scripture. Do you understand that this is talking about after the battle of Armageddon? This is talking when Jesus returns and the sword of his mouth comes out and he's like, oh, and everybody just falls over dead or explodes or turns into a red mist. I have no idea what that's going to look like. But the people of Israel are protected by Jesus himself. You guys, this is amazing. And I would again encourage you, we're not going to read it, but chapter 12 and 13 of Zechariah is phenomenal. It blows your mind, you guys. If you have never taken the time to do a study into these things, I don't know personally, if you're here today and you're not a believer, if you take the time to study scripture, I don't know how you can come out believing anything else. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented. This is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. If you think Jesus was just a good man, well, he's a pretty amazing man to fulfill all the scripture. Actually, he's literally, it's an impossibility. 
I've told you guys before, for Jesus to fulfill, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies. For him to fulfill just eight of the prophecies, the statistician figured it out. It would be like a 10-foot pile of quarters over the entire state of Texas. Mark one quarter with an X, swish it all around, blindfold someone, send them in, and uh, them find that one quarter that's got a mark of X. That's the odds. It's one to 10 to the 10, 17th, thank you, to the 17th power. It's impossible. You have better luck winning the Powerball, by far, than for Jesus to be the man he was. He's God, you guys. He's God in flesh. Verse 28, let's keep reading. <coughs> Flip back over with me to the book of Romans. Verse 28 says, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are the beloved for the sake of, our fa- of the fathers. For the gift and the calling of God are irrevocable. That is a good word, you guys. So even though at the time the Gentile church saw that the Jews were not Christians and literally they were enemies of the Christian church, right? Paul had every reason to say this. Everywhere Paul went, man, he suffered for it, right? Paul makes it clear like they were enemies of God, but they were still loved by God. They were making themselves enemies, but God still loved them. You guys, so were we once. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you used to be an enemy of God. It's not until we accept the work that Christ did that you stop being an enemy of God, because guess what? If you're not a Christian here today, you actually think you're your own God. And that puts you at enmity with God, because you're not God. You're not that cool. I'm not that good. I'm not that cool. And when we realize that we're screwed up human beings in need of a savior and we come to him, man, he's our friend and he loves us and he has taken care of it for us. And so here we are. And this is the thing Paul's laying out. Like, look, the Jews, yeah, they may be making themselves enemies of God, but let's not get it twisted. They are still loved by God. And think about this. He says, but concerning the election... They are beloved. Election here speaks of this, this idea of grace being extended to them. You realize that God has elected all of humanity to come to salvation. He has died once for everyone. I believe that wholeheartedly. Now, there may be people here that disagree with that. If you're Calvinist and you're leaning, I don't see that in scripture. I don't know how you get around the scripture whenever it talks about this idea of God saying, I wish that all would come to me. Well, if he didn't die for all them, why would he say that? So I believe he died for everyone. I believe everyone is elect, but you have to choose the election, right? God sovereignly chose to give us choice. Election here is speaking of this idea of grace and keep in mind that there's not one human being that has ever lived or will ever live that doesn't have God's grace extended to them from the cross of Christ. So the question is this, Is each person ready to accept that free gift of salvation or do they think they're all set? Here's the cool part. God is faithful even when we're faithless. God will never stop. He will never give up on Israel. God will never stop or give up on us. That is a good news. That is good news, you guys. This is the promise that we see in verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God 
are irrevocable. And Paul is making it clear that God knows what he's doing. He is entirely in charge. He is not by thrown off by any of this. He wasn't thrown off when Jesus showed up. Jesus wasn't thrown off, you guys. He told everybody that would listen, yo, I'm here to live a perfect life, die for y'all freaks, and come back in three days. Like, that's my goal in life. That's what I'm here for. That's what I'm doing. And people didn't want to hear it. And then he did it. And then he showed up. And God has been bringing people to himself since that point. But the reality is, you guys, he alone can make that call that it's irrevocable. You understand? I was listening, we're watching a TV show right now. And one of the things in the TV show is like this dad that keeps saying, oh, I promise. I promise that we're going to do this. I promise that we're going to do this. And then he, he, through no fault of his own, falters in his promise, Right? He has to work late or something comes up. And doesn't that happen to all of us? We can't say something is irrevocable, really. Right? Like we bought uh, Cutco knives. Anybody know about Cutco knives? It's a lifetime guarantee. Not lifetime. It's a, li- it's a forever guarantee, right? Because it's not even in your lifetime. We can will that stuff to a kid and they can get a new knife. Now, that's been around since the 1800s. But guess what I can't say about Cutco knives? That their guarantee is irrevocable. They could fold, right? Do you get my point? Even a good guarantee where you're like, whoa, that's nice. I like it. It doesn't mean it's irrevocable. Only God can say something's irrevocable and mean it. He's the only one. Man, you guys are dead today. You all right? Everybody awake? You're like, hmm. Verse 30. <laughs> says, for as you... I'm sorry, for as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. So Paul now goes into this little logic exercise. He's saying, we as Gentiles were all walking in disobedience, and yet we found mercy in Christ, in part because of the disobedience of the Jews at the time, right? Paul would go to the Jews first. If they had all accepted it, it's not like God wasn't going to bring the Gentiles along if the Jewish people would have accepted it first. It's just that the, the route taken would have looked a little different, right? But because they rejected it, Paul would go out into the community and start speaking, and the Gentiles lapped it up because they didn't like the things that they were hearing from other ways. They were tired of the prostitution. They were tired of being able to just go have sex with whoever at the Temple of Diana or being able to go do whatever drugs they had to do to get high, to get to a place that they could see whatever certain deity they were aiming at. And they were definitely tired of just seeing the emperor and calling him a god because he obviously was and he was a flawed human man. And so they got tired of these things and they came to Christ and they found something fresh and new and awesome and they came to it. And so because of the mercy we found, it was in part... Because of the disobedience of the Jews, and I needed you to hear this, Paul's modus operandi, whenever he would walk into any area, was to go to the Jews first. But when he found resistance, or when he found stones to the head so often, right? People were like, get out of here, hucking stones at him. Then he would go talk to the Gentiles, and they were ready to receive. But Paul's saying this, now that God has poured out this mercy, right? This undeserved favor, Onto you, Gentiles. God's using that to show the Jews, man, there's something different here. There's something different here, and that God's using that to bring about a change in the Jewish heart. 
Do you see the logic here? And so Paul's speaking and saying, no matter if you're Jew or a Gentile, we are all lawbreakers. We are all sinners. There's not one of us here that is not a rule breaker. If you're here today and you actually think you're perfect, man, everybody just get away from that person. That's a scary place to be, right? That's terrifying because we all know we're not perfect. We know we're screwed up, right? Man, there's no babies in here today, but if there's a baby in here, guess what? Even they're screwed up. Even they're not right. And if you're like, no, not yet. Well, wait until they start talking. They'll say no and you'll understand. It's always been there. They just couldn't vocalize it. <laughs> you guys, even the best person here is, most, is screwed up. God sees our prison of failure and offers the keys to release us from that prison, and that is Jesus. And he offers it to everybody, Jew or Gentile. Everybody has the key to get out, and it's Jesus. He's the only key that's going to work. There's no other key. You can't squeeze through the bars. You can't do enough good works to get out. Nothing is going to release you from the prison of your failure except Christ. Verse 33. It says, oh, the depths, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has, given, who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You guys, Paul is so blown away at God's mercy. Paul is so blown away at God's plan for all of humanity that he literally just breaks out into praise right here. That's what that is. He is literally just praising God. He's like, what the heck? And so let's read it again, you guys. Let's read this again. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? In other words, who's given anything to God that he owes you something? Nobody is the answer. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You guys, the early 19th century Wesleyan theologian, Adam Clark, said this about this section of scripture. He said this, it is strange that with such a scripture as this before their eyes, men should sit down coolly and positively write about counsels and decrees of God formed from all eternity of which they speak with as much confidence and decision as if they had formed a part of the council of the Most High and had been with him in the beginning of his ways. Do you guys get what he's getting at? What he's saying is this. Too often, you guys, too often we come to God's word and we try to systematize it and put it into its little box and make sense to us. That's what Adam Clark's saying. That's what hardcore Calvinists tend to do. That's what hardcore Arminianists tend to do. That's what people that want their understanding of who God is to be completely just formed up and boxed. And now, don't get me wrong, we spend our entire lives trying to figure that out. We spend our, we should. 
there's a good uh, thing in coming to God and saying, God, I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. God, I want you to explain yourself to me. Lord, help me understand you more. But the reality is, you guys, I believe we're going to spend the rest of eternity learning more about God because God has no bottom to his depth. We're never going to get our head around God entirely, ever. And I think that's a joy. And it gives me a lot of hope and a lot of rest. Doesn't it you? I don't need God to be systematized for me. Now, I understand the concepts. I get the idea behind it. But I also love blowing up people's paradigms because it's fun. And I love it when people are like, Pastor, let me explain it to you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's awesome. No, I'm glad you really have that figured out. I don't quite have that figured out yet. And I tend to lean this certain way, but I don't really know. And listen, I've told you guys before, like my eschatology shifted when we went through Revelation last time. And I would have told you I was staunchly, staunchly a believer in the pre-millennial, pre-tribulation rapture. And I'm still an extremely hopeful man that that's true. But my last time reading through Revelation opened me up to the idea that it could be in the middle of the tribulation. And I'm okay with that. And guess what, guys? When Jesus comes back, if we're all wrong, and it's something that none of us have conceived or comprehended from his word, guess what we're all going to say as Christians? That's how it worked out. Cool, right? That's going to be the end of it. We're going to be going to heaven. So does it matter what your eschatology is? No. Do you know that Jesus is coming back? That's what matters. That's what matters. There's tons of things people fight over and want to systematize and get all wrapped up around the axelon. Do we speak in tongues or do we not? Is it for today or was it not? Listen, man, I speak in tongues and it's cool, but if you don't, who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to get wrapped around the axle of it. Do I completely understand the concepts of it? No. Have I grown in what I thought I knew to what I know now? Yes. That's what the goal for all of us should be, would be to continue to grow. But I love this quote by Adam Clark because he's saying like, man... How coolly, how sure of ourselves are we when we sit down and we're just like, oh, this is who God is and I can explain that to you well. Do you know what I do know? Do you know what I think God has made abundantly, painfully, obviously clear that I will hold on to, that I will argue with someone on? Jesus Christ came to this earth, God in flesh, born of a virgin, died after living a perfect life here on earth for 33 to 34 years, that's debated too, died and rose again in three days, like he said he would, proving who he was, being the salvation for all of us, every human being in this whole world. And I don't care what your garbage is that you're bringing through the door. I brought plenty through the door when I got saved. Guess what, guys? I'm still carrying some of it. God's still working on it. I haven't arrived. I'm stoked for the day that Jesus returns or I die because either way, I'm going to be like, sweet, Finally, let let that baggage off. But guys, I want to be a church that sees that and holds on to that truth. That's the thing that matters. What God calls sin, I do want to call sin. But guess what? I'm not going to get wrapped around the axle with someone that's sinning in that way. I'm not going to look at them and say like, oh, you're too far gone. No, you are not. God loves you dearly. God wants to know you. God wants to deal with your heart the same way he's dealing with my heart. Those are the things I want to hold on to, you guys. 
And I love what Paul's cry is here. He's just like, look, the Jews, my own people, Paul's saying, they're screwed up. I wish they weren't being disobedient. We know earlier in Romans, Paul said like, dude, if I could go to hell and bring everybody to heaven in my place, I would do it, but I can't. So we know Paul's heart. Paul's broken for his people. We would do well to have even an iota of the amount of brokenness that Paul had for his people for the world around us. And I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm talking to you, so don't think I'm up here yelling at you, even if I'm getting loud. (laughs) I want that heart for people around us. I want to say, God, I don't want to go to hell. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't go to hell. But I wish I could say that. I wish I could say, Lord, I, I actually would say, if everyone else got to go, I would suffer not being with you. I'm not there yet. But man, if, I, if my heart was even slightly close to that, do you see the difference in the way you're going to look at other people around you? You're not going to look at their sin and be like, oh man, look at them. Oh man, they don't even know what sex they are. Oh man, they're married to a person of the same sex. Oh man, this is going on. Oh look, they're high as a kite. They're not even going to hear what I'm saying. Guess what? I know a pastor friend of mine when I was called to ministry that I told God whenever he called me to be a pastor, I was like, you know me. I put my foot in my mouth all the time. I'm an idiot. I can't do this, Lord. You know that. The guy that came out to speak was a guy named Pancho Juarez. He's a pastor in Calvary Chapel in California. And his testimony is this, and this is what he said. He's like this tiny little Mexican guy. And so I'm not mocking him. I'm just acting like him. He's like, yo, dude. He's like, when I got saved, man, he's like, I was so high on cocaine. I didn't even know what I was doing. And so someone grabbed my hand and said, come up with me. And he's like, I went up with them. And I was up there and I was like raising my hands. And they're like, do you accept Jesus into your heart? He's like, man, I'm so screwed up. Maybe I should because I think I'm going to die. And he accepted Jesus. And he stood up there and he said it was the freakiest thing in the world because cocaine makes you sweat like crazy. If you've never been around, my brother did it for years. It makes you sweat profusely. And so he was up there and people were holding his hands. And he's like, (laughs) just like freaking out. He woke up the next morning and he said, To God, God, I don't know what the heck that was. But if that was real, I need you to show me. And he said for the first time in his life, he heard not an audible voice, but a darn close audible voice in his head that said that was real and you need to serve me. And he gave up all those things. What am I saying that for? There is no one that is beyond redemption. If you feel like the Lord's telling you to speak to someone and you think "Mm, they're a little high, man, keep talking to them anyway. You don't know what God's speaking into their hearts. You have no idea. Be obedient to God. Step out into that, you guys. You guys, I would encourage you this week to just keep coming back to verse 33 through 36. Because the reality is, is that when you come to these hotly debated issues in theological circles, or maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I'm barely walking with the Lord. I just got saved a few weeks ago, or man, I I don't even know enough about the Bible to tell anybody about Jesus. The reality is that is not true. That is not true. Do you know what schooling and training all the disciples had? None. I mean, they had three years with Jesus, which was plenty of good training. But the reality is, did they put all that to use? No, they went and screwed it up over and over and over again, didn't they? You guys know who Greg Laurie is? So Greg Laurie 
got saved as a, at a young age. If you guys saw the Jesus Revolution movie, you know he was in LSD. He was just, he was really a messed up guy and he got saved. And there's a story that I read in a book that he wrote that talked about the first time he ever got brave enough. He was reading this book about evangelism. And so he was like, okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna evangelize somebody. And so he went out on the beach and he sat down next to this, next to this lady who was sunbathing and he like cast his shadow right across her, which any woman knows that's a no-no, you don't do that. I used to get yelled at by my mom all the time. She couldn't see and she could know that I was casting a shadow on her. But he sat down next to this lady and he's like, hi, I'm Greg. And she's like, hi. And she's like, he said, can I tell you about Jesus? And she's like, sure. And he was like, like he didn't know what to do. And so he read the book that he was reading cover to cover about evangelism to her. And so after like 25 minutes of him reading this book, he gets to the end and he's like, so, so do you want to know who Jesus is? And she's like, yeah, I do. And he was like, oh no. (laughs) And so then he led him he led her through a prayer, and he's like, hey, I want to invite you to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We meet in this big tent, like, come out, and she came out, and she's walked with the Lord ever since, and what was the point of all that? He had no idea what he was doing, and by all intents and purposes, you guys, he screwed it up royally. That would be the most, usually most people would just walk away five minutes into you reading and be like, I, I'm not, I don't have time for this, but God used it anyway. Do you understand that it's not you that saves anybody? It's God that does it, so don't be afraid. Don't, don't worry about it. Listen, oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out that should give you rest, that we know Jesus, and that's all we really need to know. God grows us up, and yes, we do get to grow and learn more, but the truth is, what we need to know is Jesus. We come to him like a child, and that's all I need is my daddy. I need daddy to take care of me. I need Jesus to love me and to know me and, and, and accept the work that he did on, for me to accept the work he did on the cross, that's all I need. Man, if we keep the simple things simple, it's amazing. And it's a free gift that we get to offer to other people. And we get so wrapped around the axle. One last verse. Ephesians, flip over with me to the book of Ephesians. You guys, we can just rest and praise God along with Paul. <laughs> God has a plan for his people Israel, and he has a plan for us. Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse three. Ephesians says this. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, in other words, when he comes back, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and are on earth in him. You guys, just as God figured it out for the Jews, he's figured it out for each of us. 
just as each Jewish person is going to have to come to a place of accepting what Jesus had done, we too have to do the same. If you're here today and you haven't done that yet, it's simple. You recognize you're a messed up human being. You recognize you're a sinner. That you're not going to make it to heaven on your own. And you ask him to come in and be your Lord. And Lord, you guys, that word, and you ready for the translation? Boss. Lord is boss. He's in charge. You're not. Christian, we need to hear that. Someone that doesn't know Jesus yet, right now you think you're your own boss. And I don't know, but for me, that didn't work out so well. I'm guessing it's the same for you. We accept that he's our Lord, that he's our Savior, the one that gets you out of prison. So, if you're here today, it's not special. It's not miraculous. It is miraculous in that the Holy Spirit indwells you, but it's not some magic formula. It's not something. You just pray that prayer. I've said it before, you guys. My prayer to receive salvation was this. I suck at this, God. Come and fix this. I can't do it. That was it. From that point on, guess what? He started fixing it. I wish I could say I don't suck at all, but I still do. But he's fixing it. If you pray that prayer today, grab someone and let them know you prayed it. Romans chapter 10 says what? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you're saved. The confession of the mouth is the important part. You tell others, I'm saved. I accepted Jesus. And then we get to grow together. If you're here today and maybe you're a little beat down in your walk with the Lord, I hope that today was a great reminder that he sees you He knows you, you guys, and he loves you. He's got this well in hand. Regardless of the wreck that you're making in your life at the moment, regardless of the wreck that maybe other people are making in your life, if you're here today and you're visiting from other churches because churches are getting wrecked right now around us, which is heartbreaking, guys, keep praying. Keep praying. God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. He loves us, you guys. He loves you. Keep pressing into him. And I want us as a body to do our best to join in walking with him. To be used by God to fulfill the role that God has given this church as the Holy Spirit leads us as a church. That's something that I, ha- I want to see for us. And that happens as we accept the fact that God has a plan for our lives and we walk with him in it, you guys. Next week, we're going to be reading two verses. So I want to encourage you guys to read them. They're my life verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's all we're going to cover next week. I want to encourage you to read those verses. It might be a short message. Doubt it. There's a lot to chew on in that, man. There's a lot to chew on. And here's the other thing I want you to think about while you're chewing on it, because this is the thing God's been showing me as I've been studying for next week, is this. How do we walk with God? What does that look like? in light of these two verses. Amen? Let's pray, and then we're going to do communion. So if you're watching online, go get your elements. Get ready. Let's pray. You guys, thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in us and through us, God. I thank you, Father, that we have the opportunity, Lord, to just walk in your grace and your mercy, Lord. And I am also thankful, Lord, that we are not without, God, not without a plan. 
Lord, you know so often, Lord, every uh, self-help guru talks about the idea of us knowing the direction we're going and having it all figured out and all these things. And Lord, there is value there, God. But the fact is, God, is that you, you know that. You've got it figured out, Lord. You have the plan, Lord. And you're the only one that the plan doesn't change for you, God. The plan is your plan and it's the something that we need to come in line with. And so, Father, give us wisdom to seek that first, God. But in all of that, Lord, I'm asking, Father, too, would you continue to just show your mercy and grace to us as we walk it out? Because, God, so often we, make, we, we miss it, God. We, we, don't, we don't follow the right path all the time, God. Sometimes we just don't hear correctly from you. And, and Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace and mercy as we just walk it out with you day by day. God, have your way in us grow in us, God. Thank you for the fact, Lord, that we someday are going to see the nation of Israel restored to you. I cannot wait for that day, Lord. I am stoked. God, I also pray, Father, that you, in the midst of all that, Lord, would use us and use the mercy and grace that you're pouring out on us as Gentiles, Lord, to speak even to just one of our brothers and sisters in the Jewish uh, race, Lord God, or the Jewish uh, people, Lord God, or Father, even to those around us in, the, in our community, God, I just, I'm asking, God, would you move in us? Would you have your way in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Great Bay Calvary Church in Dover, New Hampshire. We're so glad you found us. If you want to learn more about our services or need prayer for something going on in your life, come connect with us at greatbaycalvary.com.